us, we are talking about the culture of offense. And we are um, this morning in for a treat um, in that we're going to have some testimonies of how God has worked through some of this. And instead of just trying to hit our head, which is easy to do, and being clinical about it, we're going to try and hit our heart, all right? And uh, so uh, if you said, well, you didn't warn me to bring Kleenex, well, deal with it, all right? But let's uh, look at the scripture. This is an end time scripture we've been talking about. But what it's talking about, why we're using it, it's, it's stating the, the tone or the spirit of the end times. And what, what, what is the picture? What would we be running against? And it says, when it comes to um, the kingdom of God, it says, then many will be offended. In NIV, it says many will turn away. That word is scandalon. We talked about it uh, it's a, on a rat trap. It's the piece you put the peanut butter or the um, yummy stuff, yeah, cheese, whatever you want to put on there. And uh, it's the part that lures the animal to, and it's the part that springs the trap. And so what we've been talking about is that what the scandal on or the trap is for us is the sin of offense. It is just so easy to get offended, isn't it? And I don't know, a lot of you have come and said, you know, since your stupid messages have started, and uh, I seem to be offended every, I get up and I'm offended, right? And, and you start to become really sensitive in your spirit, and that's because it is, it is a big deal. You know, and there's offenses that kind of range on the 1 to 2 to 3, 4 scale, but then there's the ones that ring on the 7, 8, 9, or 10, right? And then there's the busting ones that are more than that. And so it's just something that, uh, it's like sticky glue. It, it gets to us, and we find ourselves having a hard time extracting ourselves from the sin of offense. And so it says, many will be offended, and then uh, because offense is taken root, this, we end up betraying one another, and then hatred sets in. It says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will go cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And so this idea here is there are some things as the redeemed people of God, as saved people, as the saints, that we recognize we're prone to, that we must push through and we must persevere in, that we don't have the option of just caving in. We, we have to endure to the end. And this gospel of the king will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So let's, let's process. I know you've been stewing with that. I know you've been wrestling with that because I've gotten the emails and I've had the conversations. So let's pray this morning uh, for God to again speak to us uh, on this topic. Father, as we come before you this morning, it's very evident that this has been a very unique sermon series. Uh, one that's probably surprised us, surprised me um, in terms of its impact. And yet we recognize, Lord, that... Um, we are pretty caught up in the sin of offense. And we take offense on all kinds of things, on all kinds of levels. It starts to color our language. It starts to color our spirit. And it's just easy to walk around offended all day long that life does not go the way I want it to go. And Lord, we recognize that um, that stains us with bitterness and it stains the way we relate to others. And it stains the way we relate to you. You've been trying to break up the concrete of our hearts. You've been trying to tear down our defense systems that we have so sophisticatedly erected. 
And um, Lord, we would uh, admit to you that it's been a fairly uh, surprising and painful process as we've walked through this together. Again, we would come to you as our dad and say, you are a great dad. You are a good father. You wouldn't do that unless it was important and you wouldn't warn us about it unless there was a serious, legitimate danger. And so this morning, instead of pulling away or resisting, might you find us as a a family leaning in? Might you find us as your sons or daughters uh, pulling in closer uh, and listening to you in a more careful fashion? We pray this morning that you will help those who are going to share. We pray your spirit on them and pray for clarity, not just of words, but of tone. And uh, to capture what it was like to walk through the sin of offense and forgiveness. And Lord, we seek you for that this morning for the sake of your name and your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's just look at a couple things uh, before we get into the testimonies. Um, Three things we talk about. Okay, so so what if I take offense? So what if I'm walking around offended? So what's the fallout? Right? What does it cost us? What's the price tag associated with the sin of offense? Because you could be sitting here this morning saying, well, I'm offended, but I'm still alive and doing good, so it's not a big deal, you know? Neener, neener, neener kind of thing, right? And, uh, but I think if we look more inside, if you process what's going on inside, it's, it's much different. So in the passage here, it says, there are many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Matter of fact, it gets to the point where Jesus says, when I come back, will I even find any faith on the earth? And so what we find out is that the sin of offense clobbers faith. It is very hard to engage in faith if you live offended if you are offended against others or offended against God, because it kills your capacity to operate in faith. And if you've ever tried to do those two together, that is probably, in all honesty among us, one of the most miserable places in the Christian life. Right? Yes, you can nod your head yes. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Nice try. Okay? Sitting there, gee, I've never thought of that before, Mitch. Yes, we have. Here's three tangible symptoms uh, that Jesus is talking about. First of all, what happens when people are offended? They no longer want to be in the truth. They no longer want to walk with the truth. They no longer want to be with the God of truth. Now they want to change the teaching. I want to be offended. I want to stay offended. And I want a teaching that tells me I can stay offended and still be saved. And so what happens is that opens the portals for false teachers. There's a, there's a weird dynamic in that false teachers will always be among us. But there's also the dynamic that a crooked people invites false teaching. Both happen simultaneously and they kind of symbiotically feed off of each other. And so in our culture in America, we've got all kinds of different um, contraptions and and, um, posturing of the gospel in in a lot of different ways. And one of the, the most favorite ones is you don't have to surrender. You really don't have to obey the Lord. You don't have to be obedient. You can just do what you want, still be saved, come to church, and you're good. And I want to suggest that that's a very deadly, dangerous, false teaching. But where does it spring out of? It springs out of the sin of offense. I'm offended that God let that happen. I'm offended that that happened in the church. I'm offended that that happened to me. Therefore, I'm going to go look for a different type of teaching. 
And so false, there's a proliferation of false teachers. Second thing, and this we're familiar with, lawlessness begins to abound. Lawlessness, um, you ever watched everybody else getting away with it? And then you thought you'd do it. I remember one time Pam and I were going down to California and to go to my uncle's uh, funeral. And uh, we were coming through Oregon and uh, actually in the Medford area. And cars had been blowing by me all day long. I mean, blah, blah, right? And I'm, I'm being the good kid, right? And I'm driving the speed limit. Blah, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm tired. The road's long. And so we're coming in Medford. And as you come into Medford, there's this one long hill and there's a white line. And then, you know, you, you merge over in traffic. And I thought, you know what? This is my one chance. So I pulled out the white line, passed the car, went. Sure enough, whoop, whoop, whoop. Pam wakes up. What did you do? You know? And um, <laughs> cop walks up to me and says, you're going a little fast, weren't you? Oh, man, yeah. Fortunately, I had uh, the Woodenville Fire District hat on that Dave's buddy gave me. And what I didn't know about that hat, because I came back later and said, Dave, the hat got me out of a ticket. He says, no, actually, it was the stitching on the hat. I said, what do you mean the stitching? He says, it has gold stitching. He says, that means you were the fire chief. <laughs> I wear that hat a lot when I'm driving. But I, told, I actually told the cop, I said, you know what? I'm so sorry. I said, I have been on, you know, so we've come down to sale. I said, We're, I'm going to my uncle's funeral in Reading. And guys have been blown by me all day long. And I just decided this was my one chance to pass somebody. And once you know, you stopped me. I said, so thanks for doing your job. And I'm dead to rights. Sorry. He came back. He said, here, we'll give you a warning. He said, by the way, there's speed traps all the way between here and the Siskus. You might want to not try that again. <laughs> But do you ever just watch other people getting away with it and you think, I can grab some sin. I can do that. That's not going to kill me. It's not going to hurt me. I, you know, what's it going to hurt, right? And, and so lawlessness begins to abound. And the more that lawlessness abounds, the more what? Offended we get, right? Because it sounds fine to say I can be um, lawless because it's really okay if I get to break the rules, but none of you get to break the rules, what I don't like is when you break the rules against me. All right? I'm okay when I break the rules against you because I, there's a perceived advantage there. I don't like it when you can be lawless against me. And one of the things that happens in this process is that as lawlessness abounds, um, faithfulness goes out the window, and yet we are called to be a faithful people. But it's not just faith. It's not just faith. The truth is, what happens is the love of many grows cold. We live in a, in a culture and a time um, where the love for Jesus himself, you know that first love, the love of Jesus, loving Jesus for who he is, loving Jesus for what he's done, has kind of gone out the window. If you kind of watch and look around, um, that's gone cold. Oh, if you look in uh, the Mill Creek area, there literally there's thousands upon thousands thousands of people, I've said this many times, who used to go to church, right? You know people who used to go to church. Why do they not go to church anymore? Nine times out of ten, if you talk to them, you'll find out in some way they've been offended. Offended with a pastor, offended with a leadership team, offended with other believers in the church, offended by this, offended by that. And it is a diabolical scheme by Satan to thin the ranks to spread it out, to marginalize us, to where 
Jesus says at the love, at the end, the love of many is going to grow cold. When we grab the sin of offense, the start, process of our heart starting to harden takes place. It begins to lock in. It begins to stiffen. Okay? And it begins to lock up. And if we don't take care of it, then what happens is our love eventually goes cold and we could even still be sitting in church, but not even knowing why we're sitting in church anymore. And so part of my job, part of our job, is to keep busting that up, to keep breaking that up, to keep plowing the fallow ground, to use a farming illustration, which none of you know what that means, but just pretend it's important, all right? And uh, it's the idea of breaking it up, of, of tipping it over and reopening our hearts again so that our love breaks out again and that particularly not just our love for each other but our love for Jesus himself that first love comes back does that make sense to everybody okay so why don't we hear a story this morning about somebody who was deeply sinned against and someone who took a mortal shot and then had to work their way out of it by the coaching of Jesus himself so I'm going to invite my good friend Susan Weed to come up and she's going to share her story this morning. So give her a hand. She's a very famous public speaker and loves doing this. But I would tell you, in, in fairness this morning, she actually came to me and said, Steve, I think the Lord has put it on my heart that I'm supposed to share this story. That's true, right? Very true. I did not make that up. So we know that the Lord's in it because she wouldn't do this on her deathbed if she had to, right? So I told her I would stand up here with her, and uh, she's going to share her story. So, so I have to say, when, when he started this series, um, he said it was going to be like a six-week series, and um, that next Friday my dad died, and I was reflecting on my 48 years with my dad, and I thought, six weeks? <laughs> That's a little while, right? And so on that Monday, I said to Steve, I think I have a forgiveness story. And he says, ooh, three weeks. Wait, no. <laughs> anyway, um, it is God's timing. And the other thing I just wanted to say, my heart is pounding. And I had my husband take my pulse on the way in today, and it was 80. <laughs> and he says, you have till 220 before, 220 before you faint. So... <laughs> If I can yeah. just give a little uh, history, too. Going back, when I first came uh, to North Shore, back in 1980, a little girl in high school came to the youth group named Susan DeBach. Okay? And uh, she came, and there was a guy chasing her named David Weed. <laughs> David Weed at that time did not know the Lord, neither did Susan, and David got Jesus and Susan in the time. So it's quite a story. And this story she's telling this morning goes all the way back to there. So... Be my guest. Okay. Um, I wanted to first start with saying that, um, so, oh, and I'm just going to read this because I thought I've, it's so close, I'm just, I would cry. So, and I still will cry. But um, before I was even born, there's a line, a history on both sides of my family where women have been abandoned. And um, when I found that out, great sorrow and sadness, and I would love that to end in my family. Um, as a little girl, I adored my dad. Um, he was my hero. He was my knight in shining armor. I knew at a young age that I really, really related to him. 
He was a quiet man with a great smile and a kind heart. He loved sports, and he was a good athlete. Um, he was a grade school teacher and a PE teacher. Um, uh, I just loved hanging out with him, and I remember sometimes I would sit in the bathroom on the counter and just watch him shave. Um, I love how our son, Curtis, worded it after he died. Describing my dad, he said, You had a warm heart, a kind smile. You were by far the kindest, most gentle man I have ever met. You were a role model to me. Um, I thought he worded it well, um, being only 19 years old and not spending so much time with him. So one thing I loved about my family growing up was um, we'd all gone to Trinity Lutheran Church in Linwood, and I had extended family that went with us as well, grandparents, cousins, uncles, and aunts and uncles. Um, and the Lutherans have great children's programs. Um, so at a young age, at five, I accepted Christ and have always had a heart for the Lord. Um, but, a, but in the midst of pain and sorrow, um, it's hard to walk with the Lord. Um, life was hard in our home, though, even though I had this great church experience. Um, my mom has some mental health issues that cause her to rage when she feels hurt, unloved, or abandoned. She mostly raged with my dad till one day he'd had enough, and he left the year I was seven, almost eight. It was truly devastating. Um, I remember thinking in my head, don't leave me, you're the one I relate to. Um, I was still so young and little enough that he was still picking me up and holding me and carrying me around. Um, but I'm also a quiet person, so much like he was, and any sense of comfort and ease of relationship was gone. Um, when he's not around, it's just hard for us quiet people to, be, um, to enter into that warm relationship. Um, he came around, he came over for birthdays and Christmas, and the many, many concerts my brother and I had over the years. But um, not much more than that. Uh, my mom would always start a fight and rage, so, and it was so embarrassing to know that the whole neighborhood could hear it. Um, when my dad left, we were left with a mom who turned her rage on anyone who was closest to her, and now that was my brother and I. I had spent many, many hours growing up in my room with my Bible and tears and Kleenex and um, the tears running down my face. Um, my mom also isolated us, isolated us from all family except her parents, and thank the Lord for them. They were our lifesavers. Um, I never knew much about my dad's family, um, or never, and I never got to know them um, until the last 10 years. Uh, the growing up years, I struggled with liking my dad on one hand, and yet feeling desperately hurt he had abandoned me. Why would he leave me, us, with this raging mother, did I do something wrong? Was I not good enough? Did he not like me? What was wrong with me? Something had to be wrong with me. Um, being a teacher, he had summers off, and he spent his summers hiking and golfing with friends. He was never or I was never included in his summer plans, and there were no um, every other weekends back then. Um, I always had a sense that he had his own life because he was so quiet, he was distant, and I wasn't... I felt like I wasn't an important part of his life. I'm going to jump to the adult years. Um, I'm an insecure woman, struggling, um, feeling full of shame all the time, trying to make my way in life. And I remember Steve saying recently about me, um, he described me as a lost, wounded young woman, and that's very true. I was. 
Um, but now, as an adult, I was free to pursue my dad and leave my mom's home and be free from the raging. I enjoyed my dad, but still always felt insecure with him. I had this constant desire for more from him that left me empty, aching, and hurt. Um, it, in some ways, it was like an insatiable lust. I wanted more all the time. Having my own kids um, made for more family get-togethers, and um, we had many enjoyable times. I would say one thing I struggled with in these adult, young adult years was a suppressed anger, like something bubbling under the surface. Um, and I really hated this about myself. Um, so I'm going to jump to the year 2000. Um, I spent some healing time with a counselor at our old church. Um, and I came away with three things that have stuck out to me um, since then. No child can process life without an adult's help. And no child can process emotional or mental abuse without a thoughtful counselor. Um, that was one. Number two, I longed for intimacy, and God created us for relationship. And I had limited relationships that were um, intimate. And the third thing was, um, we talked a lot about um, how a relationship work, and she had this example that I've um, gone back to over and over, and that is that um, in a relationship, you may want a banquet. You may want a, um, a beautiful table filled with meaningful, with, for a meaningful gathering, um, lots of yummy food, but all you get is crumbs in that relationship. So um, we talked about receiving the crumbs, and taking them and enjoying them, and being grateful for them, but longing for more, which gives us hope. Um, so, and I would add that I was learning how to express and use words um, as well to ex express my thoughts. Um, so then in the year 2002, my dad was long retired and spent a couple of months during the winter down in Arizona while my stepmom continued to work. He talked about it so much, we decided to take the boys, drive down, and spend two weeks with him. We had a great time. He took us all over. Every day, he would take us around the Phoenix area. We saw some Mariners games. He fed us. We did so much. It was great. And he is a fabulous cook. Um, one thing I so wish I could have grown up with and learned from him, but God knows. Um, our youngest was going to have his eighth birthday while we were on this trip. And we'd agreed to take him out for dinner on his birthday. My dad came to me one afternoon, said we should go to visit Sedona, Arizona, just the four of us and my family, the day we had planned to celebrate Curtis's birthday because he was getting together with friends. Well, <laughs> didn't he remember this was Curtis's birthday? So this is where I lost it. <laughs> and I didn't lose it out in, you know, in public, but it was in my head. I just lost it. Back came all my feelings of that little girl, the hurt and woundedness. His life always took first place, and I was not important to him. Um, so then the Lord gave me this picture. Um, I had my dad on a pedestal um, with expectations, only to be hurt and then to be knocked down. Like this push puppet, they sit on a pedestal but can easily be pushed down. They spring back up, only to be pushed down again. So um, at some point in the process, this is a fun game to play. I have my dad up here and then feel like I'm constantly putting him down. Um, I see now that I have done this with many people. Put, them, put my expectations high and put people high. 
on this pedestal. They are like an idol to me. And I will never find true peace in a relationship when they are an idol. Um, and God showed me only he can be on this pedestal. God is my hero because he cannot be knocked down. I really had to process what I had learned in this moment when my dad came to me. Um, and so I was talking with God in my head, and as I was processing, he reminded me, instead of being angry, I should identify that, yes, I'm hurt. And then God showed me that I was able to see his heart and how he longs for us all to know he feels our pain, our hurt, but he knows we can't find what we're looking for in others. Um, I'm not the judge, and this verse always comes to me, love keeps no records of wrong. God will ultimately judge them and me. I am just responsible for how I will respond in this moment. Um, the Lord was my father, my perfect father, and he could fill the holes that were left by my earthly father. Um, I can open my hand and receive the crumb, even though I want a banquet. Um, at least I have a crumb. Soon after I was processing my thoughts, my dad says, um, he remembers it's Curtis's birthday, and we were going to go out to dinner. Let's have a birthday dinner the next day, the day after, and have Curtis pick um, where he would like to go. I was like, Phew, okay. He does remember. And, um, and I was thinking, I have a crumb. No, you know what I have? I have dinner. <laughs> it's not a banquet, but it's dinner, and I will take it, and um, I will enjoy it, and I will not keep a record of wrong. Um, this trip was huge for me. It had been 30 years since I had last been on a vacation with my dad. Um, and my son, my son Curtis, was the same age I was. It was truly, truly healing a God-divine appointment. When we were ready to leave, my dad said to me, you guys are doing a great job. You are great parents. And wow, I didn't know I needed to hear that, but I did. Again, God is good. Um, so as I've reflected back, I can say the last 10 years were very sweet. Somewhere in there, I let my dad off the hook, and my bubbling anger was gone. And I can't tell you when it left and where, where it went, but it's gone. Um, and it's a testimony to give, and it shall be given to you. Um, God made our last 10 years so sweet. I shared this with my friend recently, and she said it reminded her when we studied um, about the tabernacle study from Beth Moore. And it's when the Israelites entered the desert, they had gone three days without water. And when they found some water, it was bit too bitter to drink. So God told Moses to cut down a tree and put it in the water. The tree soaked up the bitterness, and the water became sweet. This picture comes to mind um, when I think of that. Um, when we come to the blood of Jesus pooled at the foot of the cross with our hurts and our fears and our push puppets, he takes the bitterness and he makes it sweet. Um, we may have to do this over and over again, daily even, but he will bring sweet healing. Give and it shall be given to you. Um, I know this to be true. Um, because God did this in my life. And so as I reflected, here's some things that um, God gave me these last 10 years. Um, and things I learned about giving, letting my dad off the hook. Um, knowing my dad's story, his history, um, helped give me compassion. He didn't know my mom raised like she did with my brother and I when he left. In fact, I don't think he ever got it. And that's okay. 
He enjoyed sports and came to many a soccer game and baseball game, and I saw how he enjoyed them. And I also learned from him, and we even got to play golf. Um, he started to say, I love you more and more, and it became less and less awkward for him. His voice was always happy to hear me when he called, and that meant so much, and that's the one thing I will miss probably the most. Um, because he was a quiet man and an unobtrusive person, I saw what unconditional love looked like. Um, now that I'm adult, now that I have adult children, I have reflected on this um, so much in the last few years. Who, and who knew that I could see unconditional love through my dad? <laughs> but that is how God works, and it's truly a miracle. I believe my letting him off the hook led me to also be free of, um, to also um, free him of guilt that he had stored away. Um, he enjoyed walking and hiking, and I love to walk. And when we visited, um, and since we visited him in 2002 and during and over the last 10 years, um, we've walked a lot. Um, my oldest son, Ryan, is a lot like my dad. And um, this helped me also understand him better. It's funny how God works those ways, those things out. Um, my dear stepmom retired from teaching, um, and they sold their Mukilteo home and ended up buying a home in Snohomish, which was close by. So we had much, many times of hanging out with them. And I would even run into him at the grocery store because he was the good cook. Um, my stepmom was a wonderful example to my dad of how to be a friend, and she always encouraged him to spend time with us, and I'm really grateful for her. Um, they bought a winter home in St. George, Utah, and we had a wonderful vacation there back in 2006. And finally, two, two weeks before he died, he had his um, 79th birthday, and I had sent him a card expressing how, much I was, how glad I was that he was in my life and how I appreciated it his example of unconditional love for me. Um, and when I called that evening, he told me he loved the card and my comments. And my stepmom later told me he beamed when he got the card. He even put it on the refrigerator so he would remember. She has since saved it for me. Um, I would have brought it, but it's not here yet. <laughs> um, when I got the call that he died, after the initial shock, my first thought was, I have no regrets. My relationship with my dad was whole. Super. Those of you who have walked through those kind of stories, you know that there's far more packed in that 30 years than what she was able to share. But the process of letting the Lord bring her all the way back around and back into relationship, somebody who had sinned and wounded deeply, um, was a big thing. Probably one of the places where uh, offense occurs the most is in our marriages. I um, remember asking last week, how long did you have to be married before you offended each other? Remember Pam and I were going to a marriage uh, seminar. We were teaching it, and in the airport there was a sign that says, I love you more today than I did yesterday because yesterday you really bugged me. We have a special guest here this morning who is an old friend. Uh, for some of you, she will be new, uh, but for many of us, uh, it's very exciting to have her. Her name is Crystal Delgarno, and she's going to sing for us today. But before she sings, she's also going to share a story of forgiveness um, in the process of her marriage. So, Krista, I'm going to ask you to come on up and...
Give Krista a hand. Thank you. Well, as Steve mentioned, my name is Krista Delgardno, and I'm very, very happy to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Um, this was a perfect Sunday for me to be here, and the topic is 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 right down a road I've walked the last few years. And um, I'm just going to, unlike Susan, I am not wonderfully prepared. I don't have anything written down. I'm kind of a top-of-the-head kind of person. And um, just let God speak through, through me. So um, I'm going to let him do that job. Um, but my forgiveness journey, and that's basically what I call it, is a journey. Because I didn't just wake up one morning and everything was poof, I forgive, and everything's good. Um, it's a constant journey, but one that I um, think is extremely healthy in the whole restoration process of relationships. But I was um, married for almost 27 years to my high school sweetheart, uh, got married at 19, and um, had a very, very good life. I mean, we felt we had a, a very good life, did lots of things, had three amazing boys, one of whom is here today. And they're um, definitely the light of my life. Um, and when we moved to Colorado in 2006, I, we didn't know one person. Moved to some place who didn't know anybody. And, and you can imagine that's a very scary thing. But I met somebody um, through a friend of mine who knew that I was moving there and said I had to meet this wonderful person. And we basically became best friends. It was the first person I knew, and we did everything together. Our kids were the same age. We drove carpool, um, just had the, uh, a really good friend relationship. And about four years into that relationship, um, I discovered um, in 2010 that her and my husband were having an affair and that they were basically soulmates. You've heard that term before. And um, that he was going to be leaving me and my, my boys and starting a life with her. And again, that was a process, but um, they did um, end up getting married a couple weeks after our divorce was final. And so you can imagine in the very beginning of that, I was completely clueless. Um, it was a double betrayal, you know, not only your husband, but your, who you thought was a very, very good special friend. And so your life is devastated. Your, the rug is pulled out from underneath you. And, um, and of course you want to, you have lots of bitterness and you want to hate and, and you do go through that. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You do go through all of those feelings. And, um, I heard somebody one time say that forgiveness is basically letting go of somebody's throat. And that's what it is. You, you know, you have this grip on all of this emotion and this hate and this bitterness, and you really are giving that person a lot of power and it's taking away from what God wants for you, the relationship that he wants for you with him. And, you know, you also hear the term forgive and forget. And I definitely do not believe in that. I believe in forgiving, but never forgetting because forgetting would be forgetting what God did through you with that journey. And it brings you back to that place of how you gain that strength and how you get to be the person you are. And it's a testimony in and of itself. So you never do forget the pain. It does dull over time, but it's still there. But I knew that in order for me to be an authentic mother, an authentic friend, authentic worship leader, 
an, an authentic daughter of Christ that I had to forgive and to let go and to, to be free in my relationship with Christ. And so it's, again, a great morning for me to be here to let you know that if you yourself are holding on to something like that, don't give that person or Satan that power. Release it. And you'll, you'll understand the beauty that God has for you. You've heard, you know, beauty for ashes. It, that is so true. You can enjoy the little things in your life that you may not see along the way because you're so bent on holding on to that hatred and that bitterness. And I have a song that I'm going to share with you that has meant a lot to me over this journey. And as you hear some of the verses, I'm sure some of you can relate to the words in the verses. But it's in the chorus where it talks about that some of these things may never be fulfilled for you, and they may never be restored or restored in the, fe- the way that you want them to be. But in Christ's love for us, it will always be redeemed.